episode number 57. The Torah is the good life. Each mitzvah fills up our life with purpose and meaning. And now, a special holiday edition. Grab this historic moment and change your life. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterov with this week's Torah podcast. This week we have a special holiday edition, Shavuos, How to Value What's Valuable, Understanding Judaism. We're going to have a powerful parable about the long war, a great story about Reb Shach and peace in your home, even more on criticism. So on Shavuos we read Megillat Ruth. And what happened there in the beginning was Nomi was left desolate with her two daughter-in-laws. Her husband died and her two sons died and she's left there with her two daughter-in-laws. So she decides to come back to Eretz Yisrael. And both daughter-in-laws, who were Moabites, tell Nomi that they're going to come back to Eretz Yisrael with her and that they want to convert and to be Jewish. So Nomi said to them, Return, my daughters. Why should you come with me? Have I still sons in my womb? I don't have any sons. Who are going to be husbands to you? So at that point, they lifted up their voices and began to cry. And Urpah kissed her mother-in-law, Nomi. But Ruth clung to her, the verse says. And Nomi said to Ruth, Behold, your sister-in-law has returned to her people and to her gods. Go follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth didn't listen and she continued back to her with Nomi. So Chazal tells us, after she left Nomi, that was it, finished. She went back to her people, it says, and she went back to her gods, back to Avodah I don't worship. I don't even want to tell you what she did. That night after she left Nomi, she sinned greatly, and that was the end of her. She left, and she had nothing to do with the Jewish people after that. But Ruth continued with Nomi, and we know that from Ruth came the Mashiach, came David HaMelech. So Rav Miller from Gates said, what was the difference between the two? You see, at the beginning, the reactions were the same. They both said, we want to go with you, Nomi. But at a certain point, Urpa left, and Ruth continued. So what was the difference between them? So Rav Miller explains we could see a similar case in the Torah itself. And that's the difference between Lot and Avraham. Rev. Leif Chazman explains that Lot even passed a greater test than Avraham, Lech Lecha, that you should go out from your land, from your birthplace, and from your father's home. That's what the Pasuk says, by Avraham. But Lot also went out from his land and from his birthplace and from his father's home. And he didn't have a commandment from God. So he had a bigger test. So he had tremendous spirituality, Lot. So what happened to Lot? In the end, we know what happened to Lot. He wound up in Sodom. He left Abraham and wound up in Sodom in the lowest levels of society, of humanity, the worst sinners that ever lived. So he wants to explain that even though somebody has tremendous levels of spirituality, if there's flaws inside, if there's character problems, it's going to cause problems later down the line. And when it came push to shove, Lot had Taiva's mamun. He had tremendous drive for wealth. And when it came to the better pasture land, he decided to go in that direction towards Saddam. When it came down to money. And this was because he didn't uproot within himself the desires of this world. Like I said, the Pasik said, God told Avraham to go out of your land, your birthplace, and your father's home. But the orders reversed. First you go out of your house. And then you go out of your birthplace. And then you go out of your land. That's physically how it works. You don't go first out of your land and last out of your house. So what does the verse mean? So he wants to explain we're talking about character. We're talking about uprooting the past, changing yourself. So Avram first went out of his land, 
then out of his birthplace, and finally out of his father's home, which even means the chinuch, the education that he received from his father, which happened to be a Vodazara, idol worship. He even uprooted that. It's one thing to uproot your culture from the outside, but even to uproot your culture from inside your own home is very difficult. So that was the difference between Avram and Lot. It's true that Lot went out of his land and his birthplace, but he didn't go out of his father's home. He didn't make that step that Avram Avinu made of truly dedicating himself to spirituality, no matter what the cost. And in order to be successful, that's what it takes. So the same thing happened to Orpah. Come to Shav, she couldn't uproot her upbringing. She desired her previous life. The Pesach says she returned to her people. She returned to her culture. And eventually, she left the God of Yisrael. She was planning on converting. But after she went back to her people, that was it. Also by Lot. Lot was also planning on going in the direction of Avram Avinu. But the Pesach says, I cannot stand either by Avram or his God. In the end, he left everything. So we see from here that if a person doesn't uproot his latent tendencies, in the end, he's going to be in trouble. Even if he has tremendous spiritual feelings and tremendous drive, but a person has to overcome his culture and his natural desires. The question is, how do we do this? It's so difficult. Lord couldn't do it. Orpah. Couldn't do it. How do we do it? So you have to hear this. Revolbi explains an unbelievable Chazal. The Gemara Vodah Zara 11a says like this. Onkelos, the nephew of the Roman Caesar, converted to Judaism. The famous Onkelos, he was a convert. So what happened? The Gemara says the Caesar sent soldiers to bring him back. Maybe he converted to Judaism. He sent his soldiers out and wants to bring him back to Rome. So he sent the first set of soldiers. What happened? Onkelos spoke to them and he converted them also. They also never went back to Rome. So then he sent another set of soldiers. And he told these soldiers, listen, don't talk to Onkelos. So as they were taking him away, Onkelos says to them, listen, I just want to tell you a little observation that I had. He asked them, we know that if an army has to travel at night, so the private will hold the torch for the lieutenant. And the lieutenant will hold the torch for the captain. And the captain will hold the torch for the general. And the general will hold the torch for the king. And that's the way the order goes. That's normal. The one of the lower levels serves the higher level and he holds the light for him. So we asked him, did you ever see a king hold a torch for the people, for a common citizen? They answered, no. Ankle said to them, but our king lights the way for Bnei Yisrael. The Pasuk in Shmos 1421 says, And Hashem walked in front of them in the form of a cloud by day to show them the way, and by night in the form of a fire to light the way for them. So they too converted. So the question is, what was so powerful? about when Onkelos told them that they converted. So Revolvi wants to explain. He showed them an entirely new perspective on the concept of religion and the service to God. Most people think the reason why we need to serve God is because life and death is in his hands. And if they don't give God sufficient honor, avoid. they don't know what's going to happen. And they hope that if they do give honor to God, so they'll be blessed. That's the normal way of looking at religion. But Onkelos explained to them just the opposite. This is unbelievable. In Judaism, it's not the people who light the torch for God. It's God who lights the torch for the people. He says the Torah is not a means to honor Hashem. The Torah is the torch. It's the light that Hashem gave to us to lead us. When the Pasuk says the Torah is or, the Torah is light, that's the reality. This is unbelievable. 
And this is the reality that we have to put in our hearts on Shavuos. The Torah is not a burden. It's not a hassle. It's for our good. And with this understanding, we can uproot all of our desires for this world. The things that led Lot and Urpah off the way won't affect us. Because when we understand that the Torah is for our good, so we don't want anything else. Why should we desire our old ways? Why should we desire the ways of the world? Why should we desire a foreign culture? He says further, Every mitzvah that's performed causes a radiance that is palatable. Whether it's a mitzvah that purifies our body, such as, such as restraining from impure foods, or one that perfects our character, because we're not allowed to steal, we're not allowed to gossip. The mitzvahs are for our good. They change us for good. He says there are other mitzvahs that illuminate our hearts with lofty feelings. Tefillin, Shabbos, Yom Tov. They fill us with light, with happiness. There are mitzvahs that help our interpersonal relationships. By acting like a mensch, by being a mensch. All these things are for our good. The Torah is the good life. Each mitzvah fills up our life with purpose and meaning. It gives us a new perspective, a new way of looking at life. It gives meaning to our life. And there's no end. It goes on and on. So it's not that we're serving Hashem. It's as if Hashem is serving us. And this is what it means that we have to be like a midbar, like a desert. The Torah was given in the desert, which means we have to drop everything else. There's nothing out there. There is nothing else. The Torah is the right way. It's the good. It's the tov. And with this perspective, we won't fall into the trap that Lot fell into, that Urpah fell into. Why would we want a different culture? Why would we desire something different? There's a famous story of the Chavetz Chaim. One time the wife of an Avrech, a person who sits and learns all day, came to the Chavetz Chaim to complain. She said, my children don't have any new clothes. We're very poor because my husband sits and learns all day. And they see the neighbor's kids. And they have new clothes and new shoes. What am I supposed to tell my kids? So the Chavetz Chaim said to her, Tell your kids, Lakach Natsarto. For this you were created. We were created for the Torah. Bereshis, Reishis, it says. The whole creation was for the Torah, for the Jews to keep the Torah. There is nothing else. For this we were created. Why would we desire something else? Only because being brainwashed by foreign cultures, by foreign ideas. This is Kabbalah's Torah To realize the only thing that's good, the only way, the only right way, good way, best way is the Torah, is the mitzvahs. I want to bring the Nefesh Yechaim. He brings the Pasuk in Mishnah that says like this. The Torah is a tree of life to those who cling to it. He says, a person has to fix in his heart and picture clearly in his mind the following image. A man drowning in a swiftly flowing river, coming close to a strong tree, surely he would grab onto it with all of his strength. And he wouldn't let go for an instant, because he knows his life is dependent upon it. Only when a person holds on to the Torah with love and involves himself, and his, thoughts, and his thoughts are constantly in it, then does he have a genuine, elevated life and he's attached to God. Because the fact is that God and the Torah are a unity. If he deserts his learning and distances himself from the fixed involvement in Torah, for the nonsense of the world and its pleasures, he cuts himself off from the exalted life and deliberately drowns himself, God forbid. That was the Nefesh Shechaim. This is unbelievable. We have to realize what the Torah is. It's Arab Shavuos. We have to macabre upon ourselves the Torah. Torah itself is life. Torah is the right way. 
Torah is the good way, the best way. It's not a burden. I just want to end off with Reb Dessler. He says, we may hear God's voice, but we still have to absorb the message. The way to absorb the message is to want to absorb the message. A child could be given food, but he can't be forced to swallow it. If he doesn't decide that he wants the food, he'll spit it out. He says the same thing by Torah, God forbid. A person who learns Torah, but doesn't really want Torah, it could be very dangerous. This can lead to a situation which can easily lead to rejection and rebellion, since the unpurified will resents the demands inherent in the Torah knowledge itself. And he explains that's why the Torah could be Sama Chaim or Sama Mavis. If you learn Torah with your right hand, with all of your energy, with love and desire, then it's a spice of life, a drug of life. But if you're weak and you learn Torah with your left hand, then it's a Sama Mavis, a drug of death. And to guarantee that the Torah should be a drug of life for us, we have to understand the value of the Torah. And that's how Ankelis converted those soldiers. Can you imagine soldiers? He converted the soldiers. He explained to them in a certain sense, God is serving us. We're not serving God. It's for us. It's for our own good. This is a tremendous idea. We need to think about it on Shavuos. And macabre upon ourselves, receive upon ourselves the Torah with all of its goodness and all of its love and all of its bracha. Here is a powerful parable The Chavetz Chaim brings a marshal. One time there was these two neighboring countries who were constantly at war with each other. But they could never defeat each other. One time this side would win, one time the other side would win. So the counselors to the king of both countries decided they're going to get together. We got to finish this for once and for all. We can't keep fighting like this. You know what we'll do? They decided together they're going to fight for four days. And at the end of four days, who's ever winning, that's who's going to take over the other country. So that's what they decided to do. So one side, you know what they did? They sent spies into the other country and they found the ammunition of the army. And they saw it wasn't hardly guarded at all. Then they came back and they told the generals. So the generals in the middle of the night, they sent out troops to destroy all the ammunition. And that was on the third day of the fighting. Came the fourth day. The one country wakes up and thinks they're going to continue fighting and they're going to win. All of a sudden they see they have no ammunition. What could they do? They had to surrender. So it's the same thing with the Eight Zahara. Every day the Eight Zahara comes and tries to fight us. Our evil inclination comes to fight us and we fight it back and it fights again. It goes on day after day after day. So the Eight Zahara doesn't know what to do. So what does he do? He does a trick. He, he figures out where the ammunition is. What's the ammunition? The ammunition is the Torah, the learning of Torah. That's the ammunition. That's the thing that keeps a Jew going. That's what gives him his inspiration. That's what gives him his strength. So what does the evil inclination do? It convinces him to stop learning. And once he stops learning, that's it. He doesn't have any ammunition. All his armor is gone, his trucks are gone, his weapons are gone. He's finished. He has to give in. So if we stop learning, how do we expect to overcome our evil inclinations? It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. The verse in Bemidbar says like this, Moshe counted them according to the word of Hashem. So Rashi explains there, Moshe asked to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how am I supposed to count the people? I don't know how many children are in each tent, every little baby. I can't go into the tents and count the babies. So Hashem said to him, listen, you do your job and I'll do mine. So Moshe went around from tent to tent and a voice would come out of each tent saying how many children there were in each tent. That's why the verse said, Moshe counted them according to the word of Hashem. Because Hashem was Megaleh, 
revealed how many children there were in each tent. So Rav Shach explained, Hashem does not have impossible expectations of a person. A person has to do his best. He can do what he can do. After that, it's in his Hashem's hand. And he brings two pasukim. God who fulfills for me. It's one pasuk from Tehillim. Another pasuk, my Hashem, complete on my behalf. So one time, there was a son of a certain man who was very close to Rav Shach. And that son was very ill. And the doctor said he's going to lose his sight. He can lose his sight at any moment. So the man came running to Rav Shach and asked him what to do. So Rav Shach said, listen, you have to call this certain surgeon. He's the expert. So the man called. But the surgeon told him there's no way for him to see him until tomorrow morning. So the father came back to Rav Shach. What are we going to do? Who knows what can happen to my son by tomorrow morning? So Rav Shach said, don't worry. We've done everything we can do. Now Hashem will take care of the rest. I take it upon myself to guarantee you that the boy's situation will not worsen before tomorrow morning. And that's what happened. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. So Rav Simcha Cohen speaks more about criticism. When you're about to be criticized, what should you do? The answer is you should let the other person speak. Hear them out. doesn't matter if they're out of touch with reality, if what they're saying is twisted and distorted. Let the other person speak. Because if you let them speak, they'll get it off their chest. In the end, they'll calm down. I'm not saying it's easy. And when the person who's criticizing you sees that you listen to them, then they understand there's somebody there to talk to. And it will bring peace much quicker. But what happens if the relationship is not like that? You never let the other person criticize you. You never let them get a word in. So everybody has pent up anger. And it's going to wind up with a worse situation. On the other hand, if you do hear criticism, you have to take it seriously. If you just listen to the criticism and then ignore the person completely, they also feel they don't have a partner. And if you're strong enough, what should you do? You should say back to them what they said to you. Let me make sure you got the point straight what you said. That's a high level already. But if you do that, the other person will see that this, you're serious about the relationship. And they'll realize that where you failed, what they're criticizing you about, was just a small lapse. But in general, the relationship is healthy. And the person who gave the criticism has to listen back to, to what the person says in response. It can't be that you're the person that's going to criticize and you're never wrong. Maybe your criticisms are wrong. The problem is that they really, for the relationship to be healthy, you have to express your pain and your suffering that you have that the other person's causing you. The Pusik says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your brother and not bear sin because of him. What sin? You're going to have hatred for them. So you need to express yourself in a healthy way and the other person has to listen in a healthy way. Or else you just wind up hating each other. And all these small little things that bother you turn into a huge fight and hatred. So a lot of times one spouse says that the other one can never admit that he's wrong. So the question is, what's the cause for that? Is it really true he can never admit? Or no, they can never admit they're wrong because when they do, you pounce on them even more. You have to make sure you don't harp on the fact that you're right. How do you expect the other person to accept the criticism if they admit you're going to give them even more criticism? The relationship is dynamic. And if the people wind up not wanting to give criticism one to the other, so that's really a breakdown in the relationship. If you're not going to tell the other person what hurts you, so there's no relationship. You'll feel that you have no real partner. You don't want to get yourself into a situation where there's no need to criticize. Why? Because you feel there's no use. What's the point of criticizing? The other person's not going to listen anyway. Okay, that's it for this week's podcast. 
Please share with your friends and please leave comments on iTunes. And have a great Shavuos. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Torah Podcast. Just visit RabbiMeterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments.